strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. Uh, Tonight we're going to talk about the shark attacks of 1916, famously known for being the inspiration for the movie Jaws. Right now we are in lovely New Jersey and it is about 103 degrees outside. And it is almost 102 years to the day of the first attack. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. The first attack was on July 1st, uh, 1916. So we're recording this on July 2nd. July 2nd, 2018. Yes. So uh, in the summer of 1916, World War I was raging, and so was the heat. It became fashionable to visit and vacation on the shores of New Jersey. People from Philadelphia and New York City would take trains to the beaches to escape the heat of those cities. In 1916, no one had heard of a shark attack outside of the stories told by fishermen. In fact, few even knew what a shark looked like. Depictions of sea creatures uh, in magazines and uh, popular culture, even some of them, they all look different. Uh, Sometimes they even had legs. Sailors would tell stories of monstrous sea creatures that stalk their ships, but in reality, it was probably just the fact that they threw, like, bloody chum over the rails all the time, so anything that would eat bloody chum would probably follow them. There are 350 different species of shark, and like humans, they are an apex predator. They will feed upon anything, warm or cold-blooded prey. Their teeth continuously grow forward in rows uh, and move up like escalators to replace the damaged ones. Oh, that's gross. Some, some sharks <laughs> even have teeth that are serrated. I wrote here, like a bread knife. I don't know why I felt that that was appropriate. Anyway, though attacks on humans are rare, uh, a series of, ta- of attacks on humans by the same shark is nearly an impossibility. Many, poli- many people believe that there are no sharks close to land at this time. They just believe that there are no sharks in the waters off the East Coast. There are other places in like tropical locations. This isn't a problem that we have here. Um, but they were just like tall tales. There was one man in New York uh, named Herman Oldricks who was so confident that there were no sharks in the East Coast waters that he would swim out to meet his shipping vessels when they came into shore. And he offered a $500 reward for anyone who could prove to him that they had been attacked by a shark. I mean, prove. Prove that you've been attacked by a shark when you're probably going to die. It's 1916. Yeah. yeah. You know, the mm-hmm. helicopter's not life-flighting you. Also, how far, the trauma center. how far did he swim to these boats? I mean, like, far enough that he swam through shipping channels. Like, th- this was a story that they felt compelled to tell yeah. in the documentary that I watched. Well, what's funny is that, you know... In like, Search oh, of History on the Discovery Channel. Not in the East Coast, only tropical. I understand the reason for that. But then it's the same thing. It's water is water. A giant mass of it. <laughs> it's going to have things in it. I mean respectively these are people who didn't actually wear bathing suits to the beach they were yeah. in like full head-to-toe garb yeah uh, but i also i also read that in, in what 19 in the early 1900s ocean swimming and i'm using quotations on that ocean swimming came the new attraction yes yes it's like oh this is a brand new thing no one's done it before yep. and then that's when we're gonna happened. go swimming in the ocean so in 1916, actually, in fact, the director of the Museum of Natural History actually stated that there was no proof that there had ever been an unprovoked attack on a human by a shark. And he stated that a shark's jaw was not strong enough to break through a human femur. Has the guy ever seen a shark in person? So weirdly, this is the director of the Museum of Natural History. So you're thinking, expert, he should know what he's talking about. Yeah, is there a fossil of some sort? This is, is like jaw? This is like a couple of months before the attack starts. Could not be worse timing. 
So around the uh, turn of the 20th century, swimming increased in popularity and local trains gave people easy access to beach towns. It became much more convenient to escape the city. Uh, Within a couple of hours, they could leave the heat of New York City and be on the beaches of Asbury Park. That's funny, though. It's like, oh, they take a train to get out from the heat. I'm like, can you imagine the heat on that train? I know. Do you think that they were like less like path trains with the closed up windows now and like maybe they actually like had opening nice wind, windows like a wind, nice wind going on like oh, nice allowed train. you to open a window yeah but then you also think of like what else is going on you remember you when think, you used like, to be able to open bus windows and that's true right now 100 degrees in the subway well because it's 103 degrees right now yeah and we're inside my air-conditioned house and my I'm headphones so <laughs> my headphones are stuck to the side of my face so with lovely. my sweat while we are drinking this lovely layer cake rosé Oh, it's delicious. Because we had to have something ice cold to get started. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pie, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know... Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. All right. So Victorian times, blah, 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 vacationing. Also, the idea of having vacation and leisure time is something that was popularized in like the late 19th century Victorian era and into the turn of the 20th century. Uh, near the ocean, the breeze was lovely. The temperatures were cooler. Um, many of the wealthy built summer homes. There were also attractions such as food stands, games, rides, and bands. I'm just, I keep picturing the Cape May in 1916 in my head. Can you just... For those of you oh who have never been to Cape May. Oh my God. Cape May is, would probably have been a town that was where people from Philadelphia went to. But we live a little bit more close to New York and we still go to it because it is adorable. It is quaint AF. It is full of beautiful Victorian homes and just the most lovely shoreline. It is pure magic with amazing food, cute little downtown, ghost tours, trolley tours. There's a lighthouse. There's a winery. So, of course, we go there all the time. There's a zoo. Beautiful zoo. So, yeah, it was also a very fashionable place to be seen and to wear your finest clothes out walking on the boardwalk. The summer White House of President Woodrow Wilson, who was a former New Jersey governor, was actually in Asbury Park at the same time as the attacks took place. The shore attracted wealthy, um, the wealthy politicians and all of their money. So the shore was big business. All right, here we go. On July 1st, 1916, Charles Van Zandt, 24-year-old stockbroker from Philadelphia, took the two-hour train ride to Beach Haven, New Jersey. He decided, I'm just going to take a quick dip before dinner. He was in the shallow water about 15 yards from shore. People heard, he heard people screaming warnings, and uh, he turned around and he saw a large fin approaching him. The shark struck him, uh, severing his femoral artery, and he was dragged... He was dragged to the shore by lifeguards as the blood pumped from his wounds. He died on a hotel manager's desk two hours later. 
two hours. He bled out for two yeah. hours. Oh, no. Well, how were they going to get him to the hospital? Oh, buddy. Oh. Yeah. So he had enough time oh. to, like, slowly die and to, like, tell people about it. Like, he saw the fin. He heard people screaming but didn't know why. That's that, oh, He sees the fin guy. and that's like that. Um, so this is the first scared the shit out of me. I don't know. What... <laughs> I will tell you, like, there's that, like, you know, famous John's line, like, it's safe, uh, safe to go back in the water. After doing this research, I'm like, you know what? I like pools. Pools are nice. <laughs> I like pools. I can see the bottom. Uh, this was the first fatal shark attack on the east coast of the United States. It was not well publicized. In fact, the story was buried. Uh, it was on page 22 of the New York Times. Wow. Yeah. So probably to keep from inducing a public panic yeah. um, and costing millions of dollars in revenue to the shore towns. Absolutely, because it's summertime. So Yeah. And also people were skeptical. It was almost like, yeah, it was probably something else. Probably wasn't a shark. So just five days later, in Spring Lake, New Jersey, 45 miles up the coast, it would happen again. Charles Bruder, who was a bellboy at the Grand uh, Shore Hotel, the Essex and Sussex, decided to go for a swim. Onlookers saw a red strip of water and a man desperately trying to stay afloat. A boat approached the man and helped him out of the water. The people in the boat said he seemed suspiciously light as they drew him out of the water. No, 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 no. (laughs) Yes. I know where this is going. I know where this is going. And Bruder was screaming the whole time, a shark bit off my legs. A shark bit off my legs. And sure enough, the shark had bit off his legs from the knees down. And that's why he was lighter, because he was missing some some pounds of tibia and fibula and feet. He died on the boat before they even reached shore. This time, the panic set in. Uh, The story was on the cover of every major local publication, including the New York Times. Tourists fled from the shore over the next few days. Merchants and politicians called for action. Um, this would this would destroy their livelihoods and cost them millions of dollars in summer revenue. But hysteria set in. People knew that there were dangers in the waters. Uh, lifeguards were on high alert. Armed patrols were gathered. People put out metal anti-shark nets. The sale of dynamite skyrocketed. People were hunting, shooting, and blowing up sharks. Papers ran advertisements stating that it was now safe to go in the water to try to lure tourists back, even though they were afraid. Uh, they were so afraid of fact, in fact, that there's a story of a woman who was screaming for help in the water and no one would go in to help her because they just assumed that she was going to be attacked by a shark. Meanwhile, it's more likely that she just suffered a cramp and then she died in shallow water. She drowned in shallow water because no one would help her. I mean, you know, hysteria is hysteria. I'm not even 100% sure that if I saw somebody drowning that I would go help. I would like to think that I would. And I used to be a strong enough swimmer that I would. But I don't know if I would now. Not in the ocean. I, I can't say for sure. I, it depends on the situation. Yeah. I, so mean, the, I, I mean, I have to be there. Uh, the beaches were deserted. People flocked to local pools and fountains to beat the heat. In a postcard sent from Asbury Park, New Jersey on July 8th, the writer talks about how there are boats patrolling looking for sharks and that the bathers were scarce. 11 miles inland, the quiet town of Matawan seemed a far place from the fashionable beach resorts and the sensational stories of shark attacks. Matawan Creek is a, a muddy river that winds down to the ocean. It is at its widest 40 feet wide and 20 feet deep. On July 12th, Thomas Cottrell, a retired fishing captain, said that he saw a large gray shark about eight feet long swimming in the water of the creek. He told everyone in town, but nobody believed him and nobody went to look. Later that afternoon, it was very hot. All the children were in their favorite swimming spots. And that's when uh, 11-year-old Lester Stilwell and four of his friends were skinny dipping. He told his friends that he felt something like sandpaper brush against his leg. Then his friends saw him get dragged under very quickly. The boys, boys scrambled out of the water 
and ran home. As the terrifying story spread, 24-year-old Taylor Stanley Fisher ran to the rescue. He was young, athletic. He dove in, desperate to save poor Lester. He returned to the surface with a partially dismembered body. As onlookers <laughs> looked at him dragging this body up, they then saw him get dragged under. He was pulled out of the water and rushed to the nearest train and sent to Long Branch, New Jersey, where he died on the operating table. Because Long Branch was where the nearest hospital yeah. was. The whole town went to the creek, but there was nothing to see. The predator had moved on. About 100 yards downstream, a group of boys was swimming. As 12-year-old Joseph Dunn climbed out, he was struck from behind. He was dragged under, but he survived, only losing a leg. After a total of five shark, uh, five shark attacks in a 10-day period, the press went wild, publishing outlandish stories about shark attacks. You have to remember, at this time, the world is in complete crisis. Like, the United States is at war. World War I is raging. German U-boats are off the coast of the east, off, off the east coast, threatening U.S. shipping. Pancho Villa is raiding towns uh, in southern Texas, but the number one ha- headline is Mandy Shark. Woodrow Wilson sent uh, federal wildlife agents and Coast Guard in to. I just didn't finish the sentence. Woodrow Wilson sent wildlife agents and Coast Guard to the shores to try to keep his home state safe. On July 14th, Michael Slicer caught a shark in Raritan Bay that was found to have 15 pounds of human remains in its stomach. Wow. In the Raritan Bay. Think about how far that is from the ocean. Yeah. For those of you. <laughs> that don't know. At home. It is very far. It like, it's like a river. You know, you go over it and it's a very large body of water, but it is not close to the ocean. The remains were in varying states of decay. Once again, Dr. Lucas of the Museum of Natural History positively identified the shark. It's the same person who said that sharks can't eat people. A trained taxidermist, uh, the man who caught it, the man who caught the shark, Michael Slicer, was a trained taxidermist. He had the animal prepped and stuffed within one day and ready for the public to view. And people flocked to see it because no one had ever seen a shark. Yeah. And this is like the man eater that's on the front page. And I mean, just the circumference of his jaw is what, like two and a half feet can completely cover a human being. Yeah. So there's a lot of questions about like if it was just this one shark. Um, Like I said before, a series of attacks by a single shark is nearly an impossibility. But this one. But it does seem that this was done by one shark because of the remains that were found inside but um no one was forensically making sure that they matched the victims either so but then i guess i don't know 15 pounds of human remains i mean like how much does a leg weigh the bottom of a leg you know five pounds ten pounds do you know what i mean so 15 pounds isn't all that much that's true but also you know in and have a dismembered body so you have that one, that one kid that lost his leg. Right. The other guy that lost two. That's three legs right there. That's but three after, legs. But then after and a partially dismembered body. Yeah. I don't know. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. I'm just, you know, how many toes was there? Did they, did they I count know, them? I just were there twenty five. There were like, what's going on? I you would know? want DNA evidence. Yeah. At least I don't blood count. typing. Of course, it's 1916, and I'm getting none of that. Is what the long, the long story short is. So there were no more attacks off the coast that summer. But people did not return to the beach. 30 mayors of the shore towns tried to get Dr. Lucas uh, to go on record and say that it was not a shark that was responsible for the attacks so that they could salvage some sort of revenue. They like attempted to bribe him. Like it was like this coalition. They were just like, please, like you have to save the shore towns. We are losing all of our money, our livelihoods. People are losing their jobs. People are losing, going to lose their homes. But the better question was, why did these shark attacks happen? What was different about that year than other years? Some people said it was due to high water temperatures. Some people said just the increase in swimmers. 
Some people claimed that the sea battles off the coast of Europe had disrupted the shark population. Sea battles? The sea battles. The sea battles. I mean, because it was World War One. Yeah. There were, you know, battles at sea. So they just fled. But, like, what about also the distance between, you know, the beach and the ocean, like the high tide, low tide? Because I remember growing up in Wildwood, every year I went back, the shore, the, the beach was just maybe 15 feet further and further and further. And, like, today it's about a mile away from the entrance of the beach. The farther sand it goes, the more deep in the territory you are with them because they're not going to move. You're you're moving. Yeah. So it's their home. So, and at this point in 1916, like I said before, like, oh, ocean swimming became, like, the new attraction. So I guess they're just like, ooh, yay, fresh meat. Yeah. You know, like, you're well, in their territory. Yeah. I mean, so that's, like, another one of the points that um, was made was that a shark is curious by nature it mm-hmm. sees something in the water and, yeah, and it flapping thinks, around flapping and around it thinks it's food it wants to test if it's good food it doesn't have like arms and legs it can't like pick it up and take a look the only way it can really test anything out is to take a bite unfortunately a little bite will kill someone you yeah, know that's not so little yeah but there was also a documented change in the gulf stream that year that caused uh that brought water, warmer water further north but the answer is probably much simpler, just that it was so popular. There were so many more targets yeah. in the yeah. water. And the shark's nature, they see it. They're like, what is that? Oh, yeah, I don't like it. You know? Move on. <laughs> Unfortunately, move yeah. On. Oh, what is this? It didn't continue to eat these people. It took a bite and moved on. Yeah. So it's like, eh, eh it was all right. Eh, too sweet. Let's yeah. move on. Tastes a little bit like iron. Um, so everyone was concerned that the man-eating sharks would return but they didn't, though there was one more shark attack in 1960. John Brodeur, 24-year-old man who's visiting his fiance at the Jersey I Shore. I 24. I think sharks just like 24-year-olds. I know. And then I was like, maybe just 24-year-old guys like to swim in the ocean? But you're either 24. Or 12. Or 12, and you're naked when you're 12. Apparently. Either way. Apparently all 12-year-olds go skinny dipping. But they're all boys. You note. All boys. Well, I mean, I don't know if women would. I wonder if women were allowed to really swim. I doubt it. And Probably. plus, that's a lot of undergarment to get rid of. A lot of layers. I mean, that's like, a lot of layers I'll, to shed. I'll be there. Give me 10 minutes. <laughs> I'll be there. Hold on. Let me get my chambermaid. Yeah. She's going to have to much. loosen my bustle. So in 1960, John Bordeaux, 24-year-old, uh, visiting the shore, he saw a black object in, in a wave uh, that went past him. And he thought, man, I should have taken that wave in. I wonder what that big black thing is. And then he was hit with a huge force. The water turned red around him. He saw bits of flesh. And he screamed, but no sound came out. He was rushed to the hospital. Uh, his leg was nearly severed, so it had to be amputated. At this point, people went wild. They're like, nope, this can't happen again. And they immediately, like, there were helicopters with machine guns, blimps, and the old hysteria set right in. But there were no further attacks. Though, this is the basis for the 1975 film Jaws, based on the no- 1974 novel. The movie Jaws actually frightened more people away. Oh, absolutely. And did more damage to the Jersey Shore than these act- this actual historical um, shark attacks. What I love, though, now, have you seen those things where it's like movie night at the lake or whatever, and everyone's in the water at the lake, and it's movie night, and they're showing the movie Jaws? I know. And everyone's, like, on inflatable, like, rafts and, and tubes and everything, and they're li- watching the movie Jaws while sitting in a dark dark water at like at like 10 p.m i'm like hell no bye see you later i mean even though it's a lake i know but still because you know someone's gonna be stupid and walk around like like try to rub everyone's butts or something in the tube or like go by and like or some kids gonna like put the fin on their head and start swimming 
something's going to happen. Hysteria is going to happen. And someone's going to ruin it for everybody. I mean, there's always someone who has to ruin it. I would probably do that. I I would probably be like, hey, Joe, what's that? You're the one who wants to swim around (laughs) tickling butts. I know it. I know it's you. Tickle, tickle. All right. So uh, the shark attacks in 1916, inspiration for the real life Jaws. Just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to NotoriousNarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at NotoriousNarratives and Twitter at NotoriousTales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.